0: I'm going to be preaching out of 2 Corinthians 11, uh, but I'd like to read a psalm first. Psalm 79. You know the psalms, more than anything else, are the language of the heart. The language of the heart. David is two times called in the Bible a man after God's own heart. And he expresses the feelings. Of his heart. Psalm 79 is one of those psalms. David said, O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled, they've laid Jerusalem on heaps. You know, the way I look at a verse like that when I read that in the Bible. I kind of um, see the heathen as my sin coming into his inheritance and defiling and laying me in heaps. That's the way I view something like that. He says, The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of heaven, the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. How long, Lord? Wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies Speedily prevent us. Let them go before us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. You ever felt like a prisoner? He says, let the sighing. That's language of the heart, isn't it? It's not even a noise that we could understand. It's a sigh, but God understands it and he hears it. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee according to the greatness of thy power. Preserve thou those that are appointed to die and render unto our enemies sevenfold into their bosom their reproach wherewith they've reproached thee. O oh Lord. Notice David wasn't saying he was upset about how they'd reproached him, but how they'd reproached the Lord. So we, thy people and sheep of thy pasture will give thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. Isn't that a blessed song? Amen. I turn back to second Corinthians 11, if you would, please. I've entitled the message I'd like to try to bring this evening, The Great Deception. The Great Deception. And I suppose I could just as easily entitle it, Satan's Greatest Deception. Now let's begin reading in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says, For I am jealous of over you with a godly jealousy. Now, here's a good kind of jealousy. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul is saying, I'm so jealous over you because I want you to be a chaste virgin to him. That means that you will look to no one and nowhere but him and him alone for all things, just like the bride is to look to her groom, to him and to him alone. He says, I've espoused you to be a chaste virgin to Christ Jesus. Verse three, but I fear, I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Now, have you ever thought much about how the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety? What was it he beguiled her with? Well, he told her, you can be like God. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You can be wise, you can Know the difference between good and evil and make your own choices. Be like God. Kind of reminds me of what a lot of preachers say in our day. They say, don't you want more power in your life? (laughs) You ever heard preachers say that? Don't you want more power in your life? That sounds pretty good, I suppose, but there's something subtle about that. Something subtle. What that is is saying you can be equal with God In other words, you can be independent of God. Now that's subtle. And Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I fear just as Satan beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. I fear, says Paul, that you'll be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Now, remember, Paul is writing to believers. He's not writing to worldlings. He's not writing to false religionists. He's writing to those who profess to know Christ and to love Christ and to rest in his gospel. And he says, I fear this for you. Now, I fear it for myself. I don't want this to roll off my head like water off a duck's back. I fear this for myself. This thing of being corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. This is a very legitimate fear for every one of us. Satan's great deception. Being corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Now what's that word simplicity mean? Well, it means the onlyness. The singleness, the oneness of Christ Jesus. Now, if you ever had high school chemistry, do you remember simple elements and compound elements? A simple element was something that just had one substance. What's oxygen made of? Oxygen. It's simple. It's not made up of two or more things. It's made up a compound element is made up of two or more elements. There's a mixture going on. But a simple element was purely just one thing. Now that has something to do with what the simplicity of Christ is, the singularity, the onlyness of Christ. Now Satan, please listen to this carefully, Satan will be quite happy for you to trust Christ as long as you don't trust Christ alone. That's so. Satan will be quite happy for you to believe in salvation by grace as long as you don't believe in salvation by grace alone in a simple way. Satan will be quite happy for Christ to be a very important part of your life as long as he's not everything. Satan would be quite happy for you to be a member of a sound church as long as you look to that membership in that church as brownie points with God. You see that? Now, do you see how subtle this thing is? Can you not see how easily every one of us could fall into this? And that's why Paul said this. He says, I fear this for you. I fear lest this by any means as Satan deceived Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to come back to this text in just a few minutes but I want us to look at a passage of scripture that I believe sheds a lot of light on this passage. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Now this, this is the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. I believe this is is just a very special passage of scripture. This is this is where the Lord took up Peter and James and John and he took them up on a mount apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them and at this time his deity literally burst through his humanity and they saw something of his glory. Now let's let's look at this passage together in Matthew chapter 17. And after 6 days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Now, can you imagine being in on this? I envy him. I'd like to have been there, too. And behold, verse 3, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. Anybody know what they were talking about? Well, we don't have to guess. Luke tells us in his account of this. It says they spake of the decease which he should accomplish. Have you ever realized that his death was an accomplishment? You know, when we think of death, we don't think of it as an accomplishment, do we? But his death was an accomplishment. What did he accomplish? The salvation of everybody he died for. The fulfillment of the scripture. The complete glory of God. That's what they were talking about. That's the best subject anybody can talk about. And that's what they were talking about at this time. They spake of the decease, which he would accomplish. In verse 4, then answered Peter. I think it's interesting that nobody asked Peter anything but he answered anyway. I I tell you, I relate so much with Peter. I I bet he felt after this. We're gonna see, I bet he's thinking, I wish I could pull that back. I've done that so many times. Then answered Peter. Peter, nobody asked you a question, but he answered anyway. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And indeed it was, he was right on this part. It's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now Luke tells us in his account, this said Peter not knowing what he said. Now Peter made a serious blunder here. Now just the chapter before in Matthew 16, Peter made that great statement, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's when the Lord said unto Peter, thou art Peter and upon this rock, upon this confession of me, I'll build my church. And I guess Peter felt pretty good about that, but here he seems to regress, doesn't he? He was putting the Lord Jesus on the same plane as these two men, Moses and Elijah. Now that ain't right. That's wrong, that's a blasphemous statement. He shouldn't have said, let's make three tabernacles. He said, let them make one, <laughs> one for thee, and that's it. But you know, I've got to admit, I'm thankful for Peter's blunders. He made one after another, but I'm thankful to see those. Peter, just like me and you, he's a sinner saved by grace. And you know, when the Lord arose from the dead, have you ever noticed in Mark chapter 16, when he, said, you go, when he said to those women, he said, you go tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. You know, Peter didn't figure he was one of them. He didn't. He thought I blew it. If he would have just said, you go tell my disciples, Peter would have said, he don't mean me. But he said, you go tell my disciples and Peter. I'm thankful for Peter's blunders in that sense. But at any rate, look at verse five. While he yet spake, even while he was making this stupid statement, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When I read this passage a couple of weeks ago, this is actually what inspired this message. I was um, looking at this passage on a Sunday evening and uh, quite often I, for some reason, get down on Sunday evenings. It's kind of a normal thing with me. I call it post-pulpit depression. Um, It happens. And what happens to me, and let me see if this happens to you all. I kind of got the feeling it does. I've, I found that men are men. There just ain't much difference between men. I mean, you might be better than me, but not much, because you're just flesh. And you might be worse than me, but not much, because you're just flesh. Men are men, just a lump of flesh. And I was I was feeling sorry for myself. Uh, um, you know what it's like when you feel like... like um, you're just wasting space on God's earth. Feeling like my preaching was totally ineffectual. That there wasn't any point in it, that my ministry was a waste of time. I guess I was thinking it that way because I was thinking my ministry. I hate it when we think like that. My ministry, it ain't your ministry, you know. But we think that way sometimes and just feeling kind of blue, feeling like I didn't count for anything and I was just taking up space. And that's one of the worst feelings in the world. isn't it? when you just feel like you're spinning your wheels and that you don't count. Well, the fact of the matter is we don't. <laughs> we don't, and if we just rested in that, we'd be a lot happier, wouldn't we? Don't take yourself so seriously. That's good, good advice, isn't it? Just don't take yourself seriously. I, I need to remind myself of that, but at any rate, I was, I was feeling that way, and I, I read that scripture where the Lord said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him, and it was so joyous to think that God's pleased with Christ. And he's pleased with me in Christ. And here's where my sense of whatever it is, everybody look, you know, your sense of well-being, here's where it is that God's pleased with Christ and he's pleased with me in Christ. That's all I need right there. I joy in that. He is pleased with his son. Colossians chapter one, verse 19 says, for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell does that not imply or maybe not just imply but doesn't that tell us clearly that if all fullness dwells in him there's emptiness everywhere else Amen. we ought not expect anything differently should we and this just reiterated to me the fact that I know in my head, but my heart forgets so quickly, Christ is all. He's all to God. He's all in salvation. And bless God, he's all to me. And that's where my salvation is. Sure, I feel bad about myself. But... Why should, I, I, I'd not even be thinking that way in the first place, my security, my salvation's in Christ and God's pleased with me in Christ. Somebody says, well, your life doesn't count for anything. Whoever said it did, <laughs> whoever said it did, but that's okay. I love that statement, I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ he is my all in all. I get such joy from that. God has already determined that all fullness is gonna be in his son and me and you are nothing more than receivers of his fullness. Have you ever thought of that scripture? I guess uh, you must have dealt with it recently. Of his fullness have we all received. Of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. And I find my happiness and satisfaction right there. And so I, that reading that just excited me about reading this. And I went ahead reading in verse... This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, when they heard that voice from heaven, they fell on their face and they were sore afraid. I reckon they were. I bet Peter especially was. He probably thought God's gonna wipe me out for saying that. He's scared to death. And Jesus came and touched them. And said, arise and be not afraid. As usual, this is the cure to all of our ills, Jesus coming to us and touching us. How many times has that happened to you? How many times has he confirmed himself to you again? You know, we need confirmed every day, don't we? We never can live on yesterday's faith. It always wears out. We need him coming to us again. And that's what he did here. Verse 8, and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. The onlyness of Christ. Now you look up at night and you see the stars and you see them in their brilliance, you see the moon and they're beautiful. But when the sun comes up, you don't see them anymore, do you? You can't see the stars and see the sun What happened to Moses? What happened to Elijah? Who knows? Who cares? (laughs) They saw no man save Jesus only. And the apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, I fear that your view is gonna be obstructed. I fear lest you be corrupted from the simplicity the onlyness of Christ. I fear that your purpose, I fear that your way of thinking, I fear that your objective, I fear that your goal, that your end will be corrupted from the simplicity, the onlyness of Christ. Now, this is Satan's great deception, being corrupted from the simplicity or the onlyness of Christ. Now, if you see this as a legitimate grounds for fear, I want you to listen carefully because I, I'm sure of this, I say this to every person listening, whether you're a believer or whether you're an unbeliever. If you're a believer and you're having problems in any way, this is your problem right here, being corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm just sure of that. If you're a believer and any problem you have can be brought down to this place right here, being corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. And if you're an unbeliever, here's your problem. You don't understand anything about the simplicity or the onlyness of Christ. Now, let me make four or five statements concerning the onlyness of Christ, the simplicity of Christ. Here's the first one We have a very simple salvation, a very simple salvation. Jesus only. Is it that simple? Yes. Well, what about all the great doctrines of salvation? Well, every one of them is understood by this little two phrase statement, Jesus only. You talk about election. Somebody says, well, it was God the father that elected us. Where does Jesus only come in there? Well, let let me say this. The only way I can understand election is if I see I've been chosen in him. You see, if I think of election independent of Christ, I've missed it altogether. It's chosen in him. Christ is called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And when God decided to elect the people, whenever that happened in time, I guess it never happened in time. See, we're talking about things that there's no way we can talk about now. It makes sense almost when we talk about what God deciding to do something at a point in time, God doesn't know time. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning. But I know that God's purpose in election wasn't to save us, it was to glorify his son. That was his first motive in, in saving some people. And he elected a people to honor and glorify his son. And God's people have always been accepted and known and viewed and loved in him. That's what the lamb slain from the foundation of the world's all about. Jesus only in election. You talk about justification. That's simple we're justified by his righteousness only. David said in Psalm 71:16, I've made mention of thy righteousness even thine only. That's easy to understand, isn't it? If you're justified before God, it'll be literally because the righteousness of Christ is counted to you and God views you as his son. Simple. In redemption, here's the way to understand it. Jesus only. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Ain't nothing else that can atone for sin. I'm not going to come up into God's presence and say, Lord, I'm sorry, save me now. Or Lord, I've repented," Or Lord, I've promised to never do it again. No, none of those things. We plead nothing but the blood. Jesus only. Okay, what about sanctification? Is that any is that any more compound when you start talking about sanctification? No, it's Jesus only in sanctification. He is my sanctification. I love that scripture where Paul says He's made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Hebrews ten ten says by the which will, talking about God's will, we are sanctified. Once for all, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. That's our sanctification. Now, everything about sanctification being, means being set apart for holy purposes, being made holy. Well, Christ is my sanctification, He's the cause of my sanctification. I'm not sanctified through my efforts, but through His grace causing me to do it. He's the motive for sanctification. If I seek to to be obedient to God, it's out of love to him for what he's done for me because I'm already accepted. He's the motive. The means of sanctification is looking to him. You look to him, you're going to be okay. You're going to do what's right in looking to him. You will. You see, sanctification, we try to compound it with all of our, our different weird beliefs about it, but it's so simple. Jesus only in sanctification. Okay, let's. Think of the last part of salvation as far as the great doctrines of salvation, glorification. In glorification, it's Jesus only. I'm going to be made like him like we were talking about last night. And you know, it don't get any better than that. Now we compound it or confound it. When we compound it, we say, well, you can earn a higher reward in heaven by by doing this and doing that. and, And somehow we think that we can, through our pitiful human righteousness which is nothing but filthy rags somehow we've got the idea that if we add that to his righteousness we'll get a higher reward in heaven no no what in the world can you do to make it better than being like him it can't be done can it in glorification it's Jesus only so when we talk about salvation here's the key to understanding salvation Jesus only one thing thing. you can't even get it in the wrong order one thing Don't you love the simplicity of Christ? Jesus only in salvation. Now, when we talk about faith, we have a very simple faith. And that is Jesus only. He, at all times, is the only object of our faith. Faith looking to him. Faith is coming to him. Faith is receiving him. Faith is trusting him. When my wife says, come and eat, I don't think about coming, I think about eating. (laughs) You say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, with regard to faith, we don't think about faith, we think about Christ. You think about Christ, you got the faith. You look to Christ, that's what faith is. I don't try to figure, well, how am I gonna come? No, I just come. Come and get it, I come. That's faith, it's simple. When sin seems to prevail, and often it does, we just read that scripture of the sighing of the prisoner, feeling like a prisoner to sin. Or well, when sin prevails in my heart and I'm made to see that I'm nothing but sin, then Jesus only is the object of my faith. I know I can't look anywhere else. But when God gives me the grace to obey Him, it's Jesus only then just as much. Yeah, at all times. You see, my sin doesn't make His righteousness any worse nor does when he give me the grace to obey him that doesn't make uh, his righteousness any better doesn't it? we just look to jesus only at all times for all things jesus only at all times is the object of our faith now no doubt we are happier in obedience to him but our security of acceptance is not in our obedience but his jesus only at all times is the object of our faith and this is something to think about both the easiest and the hardest thing in the world to do is to just trust Jesus only. <laughs> it's the easiest when you see you're a sinner. You know, that's your only option. <laughs> it's your only choice. You know, you never believe to where you don't have any, anything else. You, you know, you got no other options. When you got no other options and you know you only got one way to go, it's easy to believe when, when he's all you got. It's the easiest thing in the world to do, and it's also the hardest thing in the world to do, too. We, we're, we're, self-righteousness is so grained in our nature that we're always looking somewhere else can you trust him alone Jesus only if the joy of believing has been leaking you can trace the leak to right here we've been corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ thirdly we have a simple salvation, we have a simple faith, and we have a simple goal in life. Jesus only. We have a simple object in life. Jesus only. David said, my soul wait thou only upon God. Now I would say that most, if not everybody in this room, if asked would say, the Lord Jesus is the object of my life. But I wonder if I'd be very far from the truth to say that many of us, if we would be honest, we would have to say that our life almost calls that into question, the way we act, the way we conduct ourselves. And isn't it true that actions do speak louder than words? They do. To some, the object of their life, although they may say Jesus only, it seems to be the acquisition of material things. To others, the good thoughts and the good opinions of men. It seems like some folks are slaves to what other people think about them. There are others who profess to know Christ where it seems to be that the object of their life is their own selfish whims. I mean, we could go on and on about this all night, but what I'm trying to point out is that being corrupted from the simplicity of Christ is more than being corrupted in your doctrine. When this world gets a hold of you and it causes your views of the glory and the greatness of Christ to dim, that's being corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Now, here's an example. This word simplicity, when it's used in the New Testament, is generally used with regards to giving. Romans 12, 8, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. You know what that means? That means he doesn't give 10%, he gives everything. Only, all, all you got. Now that, that's what that means. And that shows us that this thing of of being corrupted from the simplicity of Christ is a whole lot more than just being messed up in your doctrine. And I fear this, being corrupted from the simplicity of Christ in this sense, has the world in its empty charms dimmed our view? Now I want us all to just take that to heart, think about it, beginning right here. That is just as much being corrupted from the simplicity of Christ as being corrupted in your, in your doctrinal views. Same thing. This is more than just a doctrinal thing. May God deliver us from being corrupted in the sense of him being the object of our life in all things. Now here's the fourth thing I'd like to say about being corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. We have a very simple message to preach. Jesus only. Jesus only. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he said, For I determined, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, did Paul mean that? Yeah. Yeah, he did. I remember one time I was talking to a fellow about that. He was a preacher. And, uh, Said he was anyway. He, uh, I remember th- th- this one fellow, this, this is true. Um, he told me during the course of this discussion, he said, uh, my, I remember the way he talked, he had this certain way of talking. He said, um, I believe my happiness in heaven, you know, the way religious people, the way they, um, he, he said, I believe my happiness in heaven will be determined by my personal obedience here on earth. And I go, ooh, I said, uh, said his name. I said, if I believe that way, I'd have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Come to find out he'd had two. <laughs> true, true. He had, I, and I understand, I would too, but, but at any rate, I, I quoted this scripture. He said, he said, do you mean the apostle Paul meant we're simply supposed to expound continually upon the passions and physical sufferings of our Lord and Savior? You know, the way they talk like that. I said, that ain't what he meant, and you know that. And, uh, you know, he meant that, it, that this is the sum and substance of our message, Christ crucified. Everything, that's the motive, that's everything in what we say. And, and Paul says, I, I fear lest you be corrupted from this message, this message, Christ crucified. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard religious people, they, they, they think this is very important for the initial part of salvation, the beginning, but we've got to go on to bigger and better things. We've got to go on to more important things. Oh, no. Oh, no. You can't get any bigger and better than this. This is, this is the best. It's the best. The high life is the low life laid right here. Christ Jesus and him crucified. Staying right there. And, and you know, I need to, to hear this message over and over again. And I wish I wasn't like this. But a lot of times, like at home, I, I'll look out at people, maybe on Wednesday night, people have heard me preach probably a thousand times. And I'll think, well, I said, uh, I, I'll think, that. you know, I, I wish I could give them a little something. You know, they've heard everything I've got to say. But the thing that is, if I'm a believer, I never get tired of hearing it. Right. Not the gospel. I, I really don't. And he said, I fear that you'd be corrupted from this message. And a preacher can start thinking this way. And and ever you start thinking about... Wanting to see the Lord bless your ministry You want to see how many people are there And you can't help but thinking that way You're thinking you'd like to see more people coming Of course we do We hope that there's thousands of people If God and his providence causes that But we'll start thinking about numbers and success and, And a preacher will be tempted If that starts becoming his end Instead of just telling the truth But to just see the church grow To take the edge off the message To soften up on this message To take it away and that's a very real temptation. I've seen it happen to many people. He says, I fear. I fear lest you be corrupted in that sense from this, this simple message. Jesus only. Now what I'd like to do is ask this question with this fear in mind. I fear lest you be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ Jesus. And I'm scared of it. I'm scared of it for myself. I'm scared of it for you. What can we do To keep it from happening to us? It's a good question, isn't it? What can we do to keep it happening, to keep it from happening to us? Well, turn to 1 John chapter 2. John answers that question. He'd been talking about the same thing Paul was here in uh, 2 Corinthians 11. He says in verse 26... First John chapter two, he says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Now you see, he's talking about the same thing Paul was, about being seduced, being corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. He says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which you've received of him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him, And now, little children, abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, what is the key to not being corrupted from the simplicity of Christ? What is the key of not being seduced? Abide in him. Now what's that mean? What's it mean to abide in Christ? Well, we know that in Christ is where salvation is. What did it mean to be in the ark? Did you stick your head out? (laughs) No. What did it mean to be in the house? with the blood over the doorposts, you stayed in didn't you would you have got outside of that house if you knew the avenging angel was coming would you have even want to stick a little finger out in Christ in the house you know if I'm in the house if somebody's coming how do, how do you get in Christ well how, do, how did that, I, I can just imagine that fellow running with the avenger of blood on him that, that guy that was trying to get into that, uh, that city of refuge how did he get in he got in diving head first with the Avenger of Blood on his, on his heels. He just went in and he stayed there and he didn't come out. Now to be in Christ, what's it mean to be in the house? Well, you're in the house, you're in the house. If, if somebody's outside, they're looking for me, they don't see me, they see the house. I'm in the house. That's what it means to be in Christ. I don't want to stand before God in any way based upon my own works. Let me be found in him. That's what Paul said. He said, oh, that I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faithfulness of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Let me be found in him. Let me abide there. Now, this is real interesting. In the New Testament, in the King James Version, there are seven different words that are translated abide. They use seven different words, and I'm going to give them all to you, and I think this will give us some light as to what it means to abide in Christ. Remember, being in Christ, just being in him, you're hiding in Him. You don't want any part of you seen. When God views you, you simply want to be found in Him. What's it mean to abide anymore? Well, first, to abide somewhere means you stay there. You stay there. You don't go out. Now, if I would draw a circle right here and say you've got to stay in that circle, and if you step outside of that circle, you'll be zapped with a thunderbolt of lightning. The only reason that you would step outside of that circle is if you didn't really believe. Isn't that so? And the only thing that'll cause anybody to want to stand before God in any other way than just being in Christ is because they don't really believe that's the only place of safety. No matter what they say, you stay there. Now that's the way the it's abide abide. Now here's another way that the word is translated. Usually, as a matter of fact, this word is translated continue. If you continue in my word then are you my disciples. Indeed, it's the exact same word as abide. Now, to abide implies don't leave. Continuing has the idea of continuing. What you were doing yesterday, you do today. What you're doing today, you're going to do tomorrow. Now, yesterday, Christ was my only hope. Yesterday, I didn't have any evidences that I could feel good about. Yesterday, I didn't have any works that I thought could commend me to God. Yesterday, I came as an empty-handed sinner to the Savior. Yesterday, it was Jesus only. Is there any reason today for that to change? There isn't, is there? Paul said we're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our hope steadfast to the end. What's the beginning of your hope? Jesus only. We continue in that sense. Now this word is also translated dwell. Dwell. Now you dwell, that's where you live. That's where you live, that's where you feel comfortable. You feel comfortable in your own home, don't you? I mean, that's the one place you can really be yourself. You don't gotta be a fake. You don't gotta be a put on. You can go anywhere in your house, you can open up drawers, they're your drawers. You can you can look in the drawer, you know, you, people come in here. There's a, a, a some, uh, well, um, I won't tell that one, but, uh, <laughs> I thought this was funny. I read about this one guy. He was going to put a, a stop to people opening up medicine cabinets in his house when they came over. I've never done that. That never was a temptation to me. But evidently people do that. They, they open up medicine cabinets to see what all you've got in your medicine cabinet. He was having a party. So what the guy did, I don't know how he did it. He had his medicine cabinet filled with marbles. And so, sure enough... Everybody was in there during this thing. Somebody opens up that cabinet, you know, like that. And they had to go through that humiliation. Can you imagine that? But, but in, that, that's, that's where you're, when you're not at home, you're not allowed to do stuff like that. But where you dwell, you've got perfect liberty. You're at home. You're comfortable. And you know, the only place I'm comfortable is in Christ. Just in him. I'm not comfortable anywhere else. That's where I dwell. That's where I want to live. And I, there's no place like home, is there? here's another way the word is translated endure endure that means it lasts something that's enduring it doesn't change the wise man said in proverbs 24 21 meddle not with them that are given to change you stay the same in christ stay the same well you know you know our beliefs never change any i remember when i when i was uh, I, when I was sick, I mentioned that yesterday. Somebody said, well, what do you believe different? Well, nothing. What'd you learn? I didn't really, lo- all I learned was what I believed was true. I believe the same thing I did when the Lord first converted me. I believe I've grown in grace. I hope I have in maturity, in, in, I hope in, in all kinds of things as far as growing in grace. But as far as what I believe, no change, you stay right there. We believe sovereign grace, endure. The word is also, the fifth way it's translated is remain. What remains is what's left after everything else is gone. Let me show you scripture. Turn to Hebrews 12. Verse 26. Whose voice, Hebrews 12, 26, is talking about God's voice. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised saying yet once more and I shake not the earth only but also heaven and this word yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain that's the same word wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire now God's going to give me and you a good shaking and you know if you shake something that's, that's that's rotten the only parts that's going to stay left after you give it a good shaking are the parts that what's good remains God's going to give me a good shaking and the only thing that's going to remain is that which he has done isn't that so that which he has done you remain in that sense that's what's left after all the bad stuff is gone and then it's also translated stand in Christ Stand, abide in Christ, stand in Christ. Now, the only thing that'll make you permanently stand in one place is if you got nowhere else to go. And you know, I don't have anywhere else to go as God is my witness. I say this as honest as I can. I have nowhere else to go. Christ is all of God. And it's also finally translated, tarry. You tarry in a place you enjoy being you like sticking around, you enjoy it. Well, I'll tell you what, I enjoy being in Christ and I don't want to be anywhere else. You tarry there, you stay there. And the only thing that will keep us from being seduced and corrupted from the simplicity of christ is abiding in christ and and did you notice what he said there in verse 28 he says now little children verse 28 abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at His coming now the only way you're going to have confidence when he comes back is if you're in him and the only thing that will keep you from being ashamed is being in him now how many times have every one of us we thought well what if the lord comes back and here i am in this place well um, you ought not be there. There's no doubt about it. But there's so, so something about that that isn't right. I don't know exactly how to put my finger on it. But the, the thing that is, it is, the only thing that's going to make you not ashamed and have confidence when he does appear is by abiding in him, being in him. May God deliver us from being corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Amen.